Good afternoon. I'd like to welcome our visitors again. We are so glad the Lord has led you this way. We hope something would be said to encourage you again as we consider to worship together. But we're going to continue in uh, the Gospel of John. We're picking up in chapter 10. We're starting a new chapter. And before we start, uh, I want to begin with just an introduction, um, an illustration, if you would. And uh, I want you to see this as a reminder. You're going to see later as we look at John 20. The illustration goes like this. There's a stay of execution. Stuart Alsop discussed what it was like to live with incurable leukemia. Leukemia. A stay of execution is a legal term that refers to a court order or the decision that temporarily stops or delays the implementation of a previously ordered punishment, typically a death sentence. Now here's what was said. Now Stewart's disease was temporarily arrested. During this time, the not-too-active Episcopalian and noted journalists discussed a number of variables with his physician. Finally, Elsop said, there's one variable you keep leaving out. What's that? God, he said. The doctor and patient smiled. Aesop continued, I don't really believe in God, or at least I don't think I do. And I doubt if my doctor does. But I think we both had in the back of our minds the traditional notion, or irrational notion, that God might have something to do with what happened all the same. This illustration reveals the hopelessness people have without Christ. But as we start this new chapter, I want to remind us of the reason why John wrote the gospel. And so if you would turn with me to John 20, and then we're going to look at our text, and let's look at verses 30 and 31. John 20, 30 and 31. The Apostle John wrote these words for us as to why he wrote the book. Beginning at verse 30, it states, Now Jesus did many other things in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. 
But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So let us keep this in the back of our minds as we are considering this book. Let us remember why John has written this book. And so let us now turn to John chapter 10. And we're going to read all of it so that we might get the context, but we're only going to be dealing with verses 1 through 8, Lord willing. John chapter 10, hear now the word of the living God. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way. That man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hard hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hard hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there would be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. 
No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon. And it's insane. Why, why listen to him? Others said, mm, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solom uh, so Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, you do not Believe the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, it's not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him, whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God. And if I am doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. Today's sermon is entitled The True Shepherd and the Sheep.
Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, you are indeed the true shepherd, the good shepherd. Lord, we come to ask that you would feed us. We are your sheep. Feed us your word that we might live. As your word says, that we might have life and have life more abundantly. Feed us the bread that is from heaven. Feed us full that we might leave here. Clear in our minds, strong in our hearts, ready to obey and serve you with our hands. We pray, dear Lord, now that you would continue in leading us and guiding us in the service. Pray that I would decrease, you would increase. Speak to us, O God, from your word. May you get all of the glory we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The true shepherd and the sheep. Next time we're going to emphasize more the idea, the concept of a good shepherd. But today we want to focus on Christ as the true shepherd, considering that there were some who was trying to enter the sheepfold another way. I'm going to attempt to try to get through all five points, Lord willing. Um, if not, we're going to pick up on next time. Point number one, beware of thieves and robbers. Point number two, the shepherd calls his sheep. Point number three, the sheep knows the shepherd's voice. Point number four, the sheep will not follow the voice of strangers. And point number five, the spiritually blind Jews could not compre comprehend the light. People will disregard the commands of God, but still want his blessings. But the Lord knows those who are His by name and they recognize His voice and they will never follow strangers. Anyone who attempts to receive the blessings of God without God, the text reminds us that they're a thief and a robber. Point number one reminds us of that. The verse says, the Lord says, truly, truly, I say to you, the Lord Jesus begins this passage with truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. And some uh, versions, verse one has truly, truly, or it might has very, it might have verily, verily. Some may even have most assuredly, 
And others would have, I tell you the truth. But the point is, in this verse, Jesus begins with a powerful declaration. He's putting emphasis on what he's about to say. It's as if he's snapping his finger, finger and signaling for attention. So that when people look and listen, they would listen knowing that his words that are coming is with utmost importance and truth. He's about to reveal a profound spiritual truth through a metaphor. A metaphor such as a sheepfold. What about the sheep? What is that all about? The sheepfold represents a place of safety. It's a place of security for, for the sheep. It's where they find protection from dangers such as predators and thieves. And in a spiritual sense, the sheepfold symbolizes the faith and the community of believers, the church, God's people. It's where individuals come together for fellowship, for worship, for spiritual growth. Technically speaking, symbolically, this is the sheepfold. Christ is the shepherd. And so we're reminded of that when we think about this idea of sheepfold. And then next, he tells us of this idea of entering by the door. Jesus emphasizes that those who enter the sheepfold must do so by the door. Thinking of how we enter the kingdom of God. The Lord says one must be born again. There must be a new birth in order to enter the kingdom of God. And so we have that idea bleeding through. Jesus is saying that there's no way to the Father but through me. I am the door. And so the door represents the legitimate and proper way to enter in. It's the way established by the rightful shepherd, the shepherd who owns the sheep. In the context of the church and our relationship with God, entering by the door signifies coming to God. Through Jesus Christ, who is the only way for salvation and eternal life. The very thing God has been saying the whole time. He's been constantly saying that he's from the Father. He has come that we might have life and have life more abundantly. And then after that. He contrasts the coming in through himself with the sheepfold and 
an improper way of trying to enter the kingdom. Uh, the sheepfold. He refers to those who climb in by another way. These individuals are described as thieves and robbers. In other words, anything apart from Christ that people use in order to have a right relationship with God, Jesus is saying they're thieves and robbers because I'm the only way. They seek to gain access to the sheepfold deceptively and with ill intent. In a spiritual sense, this points to false teachers. It, for, it points to false leaders. And anyone who tries to lead God's people astray by offering an alternative path to salvation and spiritual growth outside of Christ. Everything we do, we're looking to Christ. We're reminded that we can't do anything apart from Christ. And so this, this verse reminds us of the, exclus, um, the oneness or the one way, uh, the exclusivity of the true path of God. He is the true shepherd. Through him, we find safety and security and eternal life. The verse also warns us against that which is false, that which is deceptive. Warns us against those who try to mislead God's people. And so... Leads us to our next point. The shepherd calls his sheep, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. In verse 2, the shepherds, we see is the shepherd's access to the sheepfold. In this verse, we see the unique relationship between the shepherd and his sheep. The shepherd has a special privilege, the ability to enter the sheepfold freely. Unlike intruders or strangers who must climb over the wall to gain access, the sheep watchman welcomes and recognizes the shepherd. The father recognizes the son. This shows the trust and the familiarity the sheep have with their shepherd. The gatekeeper knows the shepherd belongs there. Just as the sheep do. And in verse 3, we see the shepherd's intimate knowledge of the sheep. In verse 3, some of your versions might say watchmen. But verse 3 beautifully illustrates the depth of the shepherd's relationship with his flock. It's the kind of relationship that God wants to have with his people. 
It's the kind of relationship that points to a shepherd's care for the sheep. You can think of a tender shepherd. And so this this personal connection is incredibly significant. Here we see that the shepherd is entering the sheepfold but is also calling his sheep by their names. People like when you call them by name. It's if you go into the hotel and they say, Welcome, Mr. Robinson. We thank you for coming to the hotel. How can I help you today? It's something about hearing your name. It's, it's as if it's inviting, Right? And and there's a relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. He's distinguishing the intimate relationship, shepherd and sheep. This personal connection. So imagine the scene. The shepherd stands at the entrance. And as he calls Each sheep responds, recognizing its own name. And this isn't a generic call. It's specific. It's an individual summons. The sheep trust their shepherd so entirely that they follow him, knowing he always has their best interests. God must call us to himself. His sheep hears his voice. His sheep knows his voice. Those who are in Christ, we follow him. God expects his hearers, those who believe in him, to respond to his voice by listening to the word of God. We must be discerning because the enemy wants to rain down destruction upon us. We must be watchful. We must be dependent upon God. We must rest in him. We must put our hope and confidence in the shepherd. And we must be listening so that we might hear the shepherd's voice. Because the shepherd calls his sheep by name. And point number three says the sheep knows the shepherd's voice. Verse 4 says, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know. They know his voice. In John 10.4, we encounter this profound illustration of the intimate relationship, the sheep and the true shepherd. The sheep and the true shepherd. This verse emphasizes that the shepherd calls by name. This simple yet powerful statement holds the spiritual meaning. How? It does so by personal connection. 
The fact that the shepherd knows each sheep by name highlights the deeply personal relationship between the good shepherd, Jesus, and his followers, the sheep. And in the same way, Christ intimately knows each and every one of us. Intimately. So what's the spiritual significance of verse 4? It's in the naming. It's in the naming. Naming has a deep spiritual significance in the Bible. We saw this in the beginning in Genesis with Adam, when Adam named the creatures in the Garden of Eden. And naming reflects an understanding of the nature and the identity of the name. Notice when Adam named the creatures, it was different from when he named Eve. Right? When he saw Eve, he said, behold, behold, look, look, this, this shall, her name shall be called Eve. Bone of my bone, right? She shall be called Eve. So in the garden, it represents an understanding of nature and identity. And in this case, when God names, when the good shepherd names, he not only knows the sheep personally, but he understands their unique characteristics, needs, everything that they would need in their life, God understands it all as the good shepherd. And so we see this illustrated also in Matthew 18, verses 12 through 14. It says, what do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray? Does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray, and if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it, that, one, that over the 99 that never went astray, so it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. And here we see the compassion of the Lord. We see, we see the shepherd's compassion. Here also in Matthew 9, 36, when it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So after we see the personal connection between the shepherd and the sheep, next we see the divine knowledge of God. We see the divine wisdom of God. This verse emphasizes that it is the shepherd who knows the names of the sheep, sheep and not the other way around. Likewise, in our relationship with God, he possesses the foreknowledge of us. We do not possess the full knowledge of God. We don't understand God in his fullness. 
So it's a reminder in our relationship with God that he possesses full knowledge of us. We don't even possess the full knowledge of ourselves. We find ourselves sitting down on the sofa looking for a watch that's already on our hands. We find ourselves looking for our glasses that's right there on our heads. I don't know where they are, right? But the point is, is that in a personal relationship with God, in this connection with shepherd and sheep, God knows everything about us. And so it's a reminder that our understanding of God is limited. But because we are limited, it doesn't mean we should not trust him. It does not mean we ought not to rely upon him. We are limited. He is not. But knowing the sheep's names also signifies control over the relationship. In other words, the sheep trust and follow the shepherd because they recognize his voice. Likewise, as believers, we trust and follow Jesus because we recognize his voice through his teaching, through the word of God, through prayer, and through the Spirit's guidance. So if God be our shepherd, we must have a certain attitude. We must have certain motivations. The attitude we must have is a willingness to go wherever the Lord will send us and to do whatever the Lord wants us to do. There's this attitude. There's a motivation to say, yes, Lord. The sheep intimately follows the shepherd's voice. And we, likewise, must cultivate our minds to be willing in obedience to Christ and ready, ready to answer the call of God. This is a part of our sanctification. All believers must become followers of Christ. Jesus teaches us that we must, if we're going to follow him, deny ourselves, take up our cross. Fellowship, discipleships, discipleship requires us to want to obey the Lord. Want to obey the Lord. In Matthew 17, 5, it says, the father spoke from a cloud and said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. As believers, we're obligated to Christ, and that requires us to live in obedience to his word. It means that we ought to be courageous in speaking the truth. It means we must be bold in our faith while drawing from an inner confidence that is dependent only upon God. May we continue in speaking boldly about the Lord, unashamed of Jesus Christ. Be bold, brothers and sisters, unashamed of Christ, dependent upon 
God. Listen to how the scripture describes boldness in the book of Acts. It highlights how brothers and sisters in Christ were bold in their faith. In Acts 4.13 it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognize something's going on here. You know what they said? They said, he'd been with Jesus. Look at how they're talking. Doesn't it sound familiar? Right? The text says, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. The question is, when we talk, do people recognize that we've been with the Lord? We're amongst our family. Do our family believe that they've been with God? When we're on our jobs, do the world know that we've been with God? Have we expressed to the world our new identity in Christ? Our self-denial, our trusting and hoping only in Christ, or is it easy for them to see that they, that they are just like us? If we look like them, that's something we ought to be concerned about and willing to change. Acts 4.31, another description, it says, and when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Right? So, so when we become believers, that doesn't mean sit on the sideline. That means put your equipment on and get in the game. So we need to be asking God, how do he want to use us? Whatever our sphere of influence is, we want to invite God to help us so that we might see what it is he wants to do with us. What do you want to do with me, Lord? And so it's a, it's a practice. It's a willingness, it's an attitude, it's a, a motivation because we've heard the shepherd's voice. Acts 9.28, it says, So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. At least us to point number four. The sheep will not follow the voice of strangers. Verse 5 says, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. In verse 5, some translate this verse as, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, it goes on to say, in fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. And that ought to be happening with us. We ought to become more and more 
sensitive to the shepherd's voice. Others translate this verse as, they won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. So in this verse, Jesus continues his metaphor of sheep and shepherds to illustrate the spiritual truth there. And here's how it could be understood. The central idea in this verse is that true followers of Jesus Christ represented as the sheep as described in, the, in this metaphor have a unique ability to recognize the voice of their good shepherd. This recognition comes from a deep personal relationship with him. So naturally, when you know the shepherd's voice, when we know the shepherd's voice, it makes us familiar with the shepherd and everything else becomes strange. Because we're so familiar with the words of God, everything else would be strange. And so the, the verse emphasizes the sheep will never follow a stranger. What does this mean? It means that genuine believers are discerning. They are, they are discerning, and therefore they don't accept everything. And so oh, it, they're discerning in the context of spiritual guidance and leadership. They're not so easily led astray. As this, we might start off, and then as we continue to reflect upon the truth, we realize, oh, wait a minute now. No, this ain't right. I got I to go. Let me, let me come back. I got to go back to the book, right? We're able to get clarity. We're able to discern when something's not lining up. And that's why it's important for us to be in the Word of God. Why? Because the scripture reminds us that the word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. We're able to get clarity when we have the word of God. And when we have Christ, we have the light of men. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. The problem with the Jews is that they're not allowing the light to enter in. So therefore, they're in the dark, just like the whole world who do not know Christ. They're spiritually in the dark, so they cannot discern. As the scripture says, the natural man cannot discern the ways of God, nor can he. And so that points to the inability of being able to discern Christ and the things of God. One must be born again. A dead man must be given life before he can understand the words of life. So we're beginning to see John is telling us that we're a needy people and that if we don't have Christ, we're in serious trouble. And so those who are in Christ will run away from strangers because they do not 
resonate with their voices. It illustrates a strong spiritual discernment and commitment of genuine believers to stay close to Jesus, their true spiritual shepherd. And so in a broader sense, this verse teaches us the importance of discernment in our spiritual lives. It reminds us that as Christians, we should be intimately familiar with the voice of Jesus through his word, through prayer, and through cultivating a personal relationship with God. This way, when we encounter teachings or influences that are contrary to the truth, we can recognize them as strangers, and then we can avoid being led astray. Not because we know everything about the world, not because we know every kind of influence by the world, but it's because we know truth. And truth helps us to recognize the counterfeit. And so every time we study the word of God, we can say this doesn't align with scriptures. And what we're actually saying to the world is that if it doesn't align with the word of God, we don't want it. We're saying that the word is our authority. and We live by it each and every day. And so, therefore, it requires us to be in the Word, cultivating the relationship between us and God. And so, what are you willing to do for the Lord, for His name's sake, in order to cultivate your relationship with God? What are you willing to give up? What are you willing to change? What What are we willing to give up? What are we willing to change so that we might shine bright the light of Christ? Do we ask ourselves that question? We have to be mindful of the things we listen to. Because those ideas can affect who we're trying to become as children of God. What are, what are we listening to? Whose voice? Is it the shepherd's voice? Who, whose voice do we wake up to in the morning? Whose voice are we scrolling and listening to and reading and traveling? Whatever we're doing... We're challenged today to listen to the shepherd's voice. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all for the glory of Christ. Right? It's an attitude. It's, it's a way of life. It's, it motivates us. We, we include God in everything. There, there's no coming in the living room. I got the bedroom. Right? There, there, we're not excluding God from our lives in certain areas, we want him to come in, come in and demolish the whole place. Burn it down. Right? So that there's a rebuild. So that our new identity would be in Christ. So that we can testify and our testimony won't be destroyed because of the way we're living now. 
Because if we are not living according to what we've been called to, our testimony is garbage. It's useless. But when we are living for Christ, then that new identity begins to align up. And people say, I don't know what, something's different about you. I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on, but something's different about you. They're beginning to see the changes that God is making in us. In other words, the light is beginning to shine. The more we put on Christ, the more we reflect his light. So we're to be mindful of what we're listening to and what we're watching In other words, it might mean giving up certain things so that we might become more like Christ. In other words, we need to evaluate our lives to see what's toxic. If we're wanting to grow, we want to be mindful of those things that might be holding us down. The scripture teaches us, get rid of every weight and sin that easily besets us so that we might run the race that is set before us. Right? It's just like the track runners that come. You see them, they pull the pants off, right? They start stretching and everything. They're trying to get loose because they want to run well. As Christians, if we want to run well, we have to get rid of those things that are holding us back. Why? Because we're new now. We're, we're in the sheepfold. And so as followers of Christ, we must learn to flee those things that will harm us. In 1 Timothy 6, it says, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you were made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Be who you are. That's what God is calling us to do. And so how will we apply these principles? We can start today. Don't put it off any longer. We can do it with God's help. The beautiful thing is the mercies of God. Every day. It's beautiful. Because I can rest in the reality that I am forgiven because of the blood of Christ. He said it is finished and I stand on it. 
My confidence, our confidence is in Christ. Live on, Christian. Live in who you've been called to be. That's the beautiful thing about the good news. And so therefore, we can do it. We can do it. Seek his face and ask God to help you through it. Whatever it is, learn to depend upon God for areas we're weak in. Apply these principles in all areas. And my last point, the spiritually blind Jews could not comprehend the light. Jesus is kind of fed up with them. He says, I'll tell you another way. He uses a figure of speech with them, and he says, and some even believe it's a parable, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door. I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. In verse 6, Jesus uses this figure of speech, this parable, this uh, paramia, to convey a deep spiritual truth. He has been describing himself as the good shepherd. We're going to learn more about that next time. Contrasting his relationship with with the sheep to that of thieves and robbers. And you can see it in this way. The Pharisees and the Jews made it hard on the people because they pushed rules and regulations and wanted the people to try to earn their way into the kingdom of God. And the Lord is coming and is saying, believe in me and I'll supply everything that you need. That's the good news. That's the good news. And so here we see the shepherd, and we see it contrasting his relationship with the sheep to that of thieves and robbers. Many of his listeners, primarily the Jewish religious leaders of the time, couldn't grasp the spiritual significance of his words. And in verse 7, Jesus transitions to a different aspect of the parable. He shifts the focus of the gate or door of the sheepfold. And he emphasizes that he is not only the good shepherd, but also the entrance to the safety and salvation of the sheep. He offers freedom to his followers. And like sheep that can choose to enter the fold for rest and safety and venture out to the pasture, Jesus grants his followers the freedom to make choices within the bounds of his guidance, within the bounds of his word. We've been set free so that we might do the work that God has called us to do. But here the spiritually blind Jews fail to comprehend that Jesus is the gateway to a deeper understanding of God's truth and eternal life. And so... Jesus is portraying himself as the entry point 
to the relationship with God. He's emphasizing that through him, people can find safety and spiritual healing. And this is akin to a gate that provides access to a secure place. This draws a parallel between Jesus and a shepherd who guards the entrance to the sheepfold to protect the sheep from harm. Jesus, in a spiritual sense, protects his followers from harm or spiritual dangers. And verse 8 continues the theme of spiritual blindness and misunderstanding. Jesus states that all who came before him were like thieves and robbers, and the sheep did not listen to him. They did not listen to them. This implies that various religious leaders and false teachers had preceded him, but the people did not recognize their authority. Instead, they were drawn to the true shepherd, Jesus, despite the spiritual confusion and blindness of some. They couldn't fully comprehend the teaching and the profound spiritual truths he was conveying. Jesus was the light. But some were spiritually blind and unable to see and understand the light. This theme of spiritual blindness serves as a backdrop to emphasize the importance of recognizing Jesus as the true shepherd and the gateway to eternal life. So as we leave today, we are reminded that we're not alone in this. We're in the sheepfold. And neither should we try to go at it alone. In our own strength, Jesus says today, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Get to know him better. Believe in him today. If you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, believe in him him today that he died for your sins, that he was buried, that he rose again from the grave, and that he's now at the right hand of the Father. Believe in him. Have salvation. Take and eat that which you didn't provide for yourself. Why? Because it is by grace that we're saved. Allow the grace of God to carry you through. Let's not make it hard. Go into the sheep door with the one who is called Christ. Look to Jesus in all circumstances. Make him the reason why you are motivated to live.